Welcome to Inside College Admission. My name is Peter Van Buskirk, and I'm joined today by my good friend, Allison Omasian, who is the Director of College Advising at the Taft School in Connecticut. Today, we're gonna to talk about the steps that, that students and parents might take in, in coming to some conclusion about the final choice of a college. After months, if not years of planning, anticipation, now everything's coming to a close as, as admission decisions are arriving in email boxes for students. And there's a new level of, of excitement, anticipation, and, and anxiety that comes with that. So welcome, Allison. Eager to hear what you have to say about these things. Well, thanks, Peter. It's always wonderful to be with you, and I look forward to our conversation. This should be a lot of fun, and I've got to point out to those who are listening that Allison brings a breadth of experience here. Not only is she advising students at the Taft School, but for how many years were you in college admission as a director? 22. Okay, so you've seen this from both sides and from a third side, right? How many children? I've had two through the process, one approaching. Oh my goodness. So this is this is something that remains very real in your, in your <laughs> yes. life in many ways. Yep. Uh, what I'd like to do with folks first is, is just give them a sense of what has been going on for the last three or so months on a college or university campus in the admission office. What applications have arrived, committees have been working. From your recall as a, as a dean of admission, what kind of, what were your objectives as, as you tried to work through the, the dog days of the winter? Sure, sure. And and I assume we're going to talk about generally what happens and then perhaps can speak to how COVID may have impacted. Absolutely. So typically through December, January, and February, that's when the heavy, heavy reading of files will take place. And every school handles it in their own customizable way. But typically that will involve the territory manager, the representative who is assigned to your high school would do the first read of a file. It typically would go to some sort of second reader and then would go into buckets from there. So if it's someone who is on the line, they may go to a committee review. If they're so amazing, there's no question this person's absolutely coming, they may be made and admit right then. If they're weak enough that counselors feel that there isn't room for that student to be successful. They may be taken out of the pool, but generally you end up with a big chunk in the middle. And at that point, once everyone has been read once, twice, or maybe three times, then there comes the time when you have to shape the class. And that is very much dependent upon what the institutional priorities of that school might be. So it could be a goal uh, to increase diversity. That might is often a goal, a very positive goal in my mind. It could be we want academic quality to go up. And so they might be, well, in a typical year looking at test scores, maybe not as much this year. They might be looking yes. Right. Grades, they'll be looking, trying to understand their net revenue, which is we have to remember that colleges are running a business and they are a key revenue source for these institutions. And they need to pay attention to the bottom line. So all of those elements are going to come into play. And often schools will have some sort of predictive model that is going to help them uh, with both the financial aid piece and the admissions piece, predicting how many, if we admit so many from this group, how many will come so that they hopefully will enroll a class that is very Goldilocks, not too big, not too small, but just right. And, and so that's the general. So it sounds like there's a lot of both art and science to the work of the admission officer. And I'd, I'd like to just kind of pull out a couple of thoughts that you mentioned there. You, you mentioned that the students kind of falling into uh, several categories, maybe the slam dunk, easy superstar admits, 
maybe students who, who simply are not projecting very well at all academically and then the large middle group. And I think that it's important to help students who've been in the applicant process to understand that in, in my view, correct me if I'm wrong, most of the students who apply to a given institution will be in either the slam dunk or the competitive category. There's a yes. very small yes. minority who are actually not going to be competitive. So right. when it comes down to making admission decisions, whom to admit or not, it's not so much a matter of taking the good ones and letting the bad ones go, but right. it's a matter of saying no to some really good ones. Is, is that yes. correct? Exactly. Statement? And when I talk with my students, I know that they are absolutely qualified for every school to which they apply. Mm -hmm. There's no question in my mind that they can be successful at those institutions. But being qualified doesn't always mean that you'll be competitive. Exactly. And, that, and when students look at colleges, the first thing they do is look at the profile. My scores are like their scores. My GPA is like their GPA. That simply means that you're in the hunt. It doesn't mean anything else. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And that's the hardest thing. Well, there are so many things about this process that feel uncertain, and particularly in a pandemic year, that is even more the case. But, but this piece is a, a little bit outside of their opportunity to fix, except for just putting their very best foot forward. And hopefully at this point, their apps are in at this point, and they've been as authentic to who they are, so that the admissions officer can have a clear, good read as three-dimensional as possible. And then, then it will depend on what are the institutional priorities and where does this person fall in the context of those priorities, which can change from year to year or month to month sometimes. And that's the maddening thing if you're a student because you, you yes. do everything you, you can to try to match up what you think they want to see. And if what you present isn't isn't fitting. It might be great, but if it doesn't fit with what they want this year, in other words, it, yep. so, sometimes you talked about the special interest to come to shaping. Sometimes the, the coaches will come to bat for you and sometimes they won't. Uh, sometimes the music department will, sometimes it won't. So the, unfortunately, there's not a lot of transparency into that yep. year to year uh, for, for kids. Now you mentioned something else that I, I've, I'm always interested in knowing about, and that is the, the matter of building a model to try to predict the right number of students to admit based on the experiences of past year. Yep. And so to a certain degree, there's a predictive analytic involved. Given the events of the last 12 months, <laughs> what is your impression of how those models are working this year? <laughs> uh, well, whenever I talk with my colleagues on the other side of the desk, besides they're just complete and utter exhaustion. And I, I think it's important to let the listeners know that many highly selective schools saw a huge increase in applications. Um, most of those schools were dealing, were not allowed to hire extra staff. So they were reading twice what they were reading the previous year and doing so often without the benefit of test scores, often with a junior spring semester pass fail without being able to see them on campus and get to know them. So there's so many pieces of the puzzle that we normally rely upon that, that admissions officers did not have. It sounds like they're blindfolded with their hands tied behind their back, expected to make decisions. How did they proceed then with given the not so subtle changes to the information they had at hand? Well, when I've asked, with a few people I've asked, they said every predictor is out the window. We're just, they said, we're doing our best quote unquote. Mm -hmm. There's usually a lot of waitlist activity. I think there will be even more so this year. I think colleges are going to hedge their bets 
mm-hmm. and offer more s- students a waitlist spot. And well, no one knows. I wish I had a crystal ball. There, there are a number of factors that sort of conflate here. And in addition to the pandemic, there seems to be the ongoing desire of many institutions to want to prove themselves as being highly selective, mm-hmm. which we can get into the discussion about managing enrollment in another conversation. <laughs> that means the, the early decision comes into play and the waitlist comes into play. Those are both what we will call high yield opportunities mm-hmm. for enrollment, whereas the regular decision process is typically a low yield situation, okay. which means that young people who were regular decision candidates this year at many institutions got really crunched. Is, is, is that, again, yeah, I, I think that... I think that has been a trend that has been growing since I moved over to this side of the desk eight years ago. Absolutely saw a jump this cycle, mostly at my encouragement because I said to students, look, they don't know how to predict. So let them know if it is your top choice mm-hmm. and you can do that without, you know, with, there are eight implications of making a decision to go early decision. But if that worked out and it made sense, I saw it as the better route because I knew schools were going to look to lock in significant portions of their class through ED. And and just to give some numbers for the broader public, you know, we're still talking usually less than 50%, but some schools that used to be 30 or 40 may be creeping up towards 50% coming in through early. Well, and I get from what you're saying, Allison, that the admission slash enrollment situation and this year in particular mm-hmm. most years in general is a very fluid situation even now as we head into the spring where yes. theoretically everything is known well not quite yet nope. so uh for for young people who have started to hear from colleges maybe have all of the decisions in hand now now they need to make sense of, of what do I do with this? And maybe, maybe the dream school didn't work out, but now there are a group of other schools that, that have said yes. How do, you, how do you help students sort of recenter themselves on what's, what's in front of them rather than what went yep. behind them, things that they can't help anymore? Right. It's, just, right. it's dealing with disappointment, but it's also helping to create a sense of opportunity. Yep. And, and I'm a big believer in the students need to feel the pain. It is a huge disappointment. And I get that. And so I usually say, take, take the night, take a day and be sad, scream into a pillow, eat some Ben and Jerry's, own, you know, process that pain. And then we're going to move forward and we're going to, then we're going to meet and we're going to look ahead. Here are the wonderful opportunities we have in front of us. Let's look at them with this new light. And I'm pretty explicit with them. You need to feel it. You need to process and then we're moving forward and it's a new day. Mm-hmm. And is it fair to say also that what's happened here, the things that have disappointed you are not a reflection on you. They're, yes. they're, they don't, don't let them define you. Yes, exactly. That you exactly. need to define your own future. That is absolutely true. Sometimes hard for students to hear in that moment. I found myself saying to a student a couple of years ago who was greatly disappointed by a turndown and, and he had every reason to believe he would be a viable candidate. And I said, listen, you know, you need to understand you're set for life mm-hmm. and you're set for life, not because of what happens with college admission, but because of who you are and, and right. what you can do and what you've proven about yourself already. The right. college that gets you will be lucky. And I sensed a sigh of relief. Do, do you find that, that students just need that reminder that, that yes. they're the, the, the authors of their destiny rather than the colleges? 
Right. And all the research that has been coming out that has backed that up. Mm -hmm. Success in life is tied so much more strongly to what you do on a college campus, what experiences you have, what mentor relationships you develop. Being a bigger fish in a smaller pond, you can really set yourself apart and get all opportunities that you may not have gotten if you were sort of the last in at a more selective place. My daughter, who was a solid student, a good student, but worked very, very hard to do that well, she actually fell in love with a likely school for herself and went early decision. And her experience at her college, she's been dean's list, professors are calling her, offering her research opportunities. The dean of the college invited her to work in her office because they're looking for top students to be the reception, you know, receptionist. Things are falling in her lap in a way that I just don't think would have happened elsewhere. And it's been fascinating to see how that she has redefined herself as being at the top of the class after being um, in the middle and, and how that has changed her mindset and outlook on life. Um, so just, you know, I'm not saying everybody's gonna fall in love with their likely and apply ED, but I, I did wanna point out, I am seeing that element of what you do on the campus is what's going to make your experience meaningful. So as, as you're talking now with seniors, with decisions in hand, and, and they're saying, well, how do I choose? You know, oh, these are all viable options. Uh, how do I choose? When I talk about recentering a little bit, I think that sometimes students stop thinking about what makes sense to them and what's going to look good on the car bumper. Can you offer some thoughts there about, again, maybe questions to ask if you're a parent, what, what do you need to do to help direct your student into you know, thoughtful and, and reflective decision making here? Yeah, sure. And I don't want to leave out the financial piece because that's huge, but I'm just going to speak to what you were talking about. One of the things I always want to do with students is start asking the questions again. When they made their application list, that was over a year ago or a year ago. Mm -hmm. If TACT is doing its job and if those students were doing their jobs, hopefully they've grown and changed. Mm -hmm. How have you grown and changed? And how does that that growth impact how you view your options. And so that's one thing I, I ask them to consider and help them probe that a little bit. Mm -hmm. I also often talk about the head and the heart. And, and I really believe in students trying to access their gut. And that's really you know, what feels right. Mm -hmm. And trying to figure out how you can, it, it's oftentimes for a student, there will be apples and oranges and it uh, makes it more challenging. But those are ways to start the conversations. Yeah. Um, and I'm not sure if I should admit this, but I, I have done this more than once where a student had two fantastic options, could not decide no matter what they tried with pros and cons and everything. And I have literally told them to flip a coin, hmm. not because I want them to choose that way, but often that helps them access their gut. Because if they flip a coin and they suddenly decide to want to do two out of three, mm -hmm. That's telling them something. Exactly. They, they know where they're leaning then. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and unfortunately, sometimes there are other voices in their world that, that mm -hmm. are leading them astray from, from what would really make sense to them. One of the things that, that I, I would like to kind of run past you here for your thoughts is I think a lot of times students don't really take 
good stock of how they would engage in a learning environment. And I think your daughter's story is a great example of somebody who found an environment that, that made sense for her. It, would, it sounds like there was a, a not only a, a big fish, small pond phenomena, but, but probably a, a level of engagement opportunity that, that made sense for her. And she understood that about herself. And is it your sense also that, that students need to understand what their own strengths and weaknesses are as students and as not only academic people, but social people. And, and, and again, put, put aside all the other voices you hear and focus on making a, a student-centered decision. Yes. yes, absolutely. And also acknowledging, and I, I have a, a very particular group of families that I work with, but I, I do want to acknowledge that sometimes it is very hard to go counter to what parents can be challenging in this process. Yeah. <laughs> You're being very diplomatic there, but you know, some, sometimes parents can be their own worst enemies in, in terms of how they, and I, I've been there too with three of my own children. I, I think they took better counsel from others than they did from their dad. I'd like to, to throw some scenarios at you just to get some response. And then the first is, is the, the student or the parent who approaches you with the question, shows you the list. These are the schools where the student's been admitted. Which is the best school? Right. You're supposed to be able to tell them which is the best school. How do you deal with that? I say there is not a best school. There are good options for you. And there's not only one. There, are, there can be multiple. It is about fit. It is not about a prize. And again, society has been telling them you know, it's about the name on the back of the card. It's about the prestige. It, it, you know, you just, I'm recalling, I had a conversation with actually a junior who was telling me that she couldn't decide which was going to be her top choice. A school that was, I'm not going to use the real number, like number two, that's not the actual number in the, a business school in the country. And then there was one that was like number five, uh, again, not actual numbers. And she's like, well, I think I really like number five better, but number three is higher. And I said, wait, stop. Let's talk about what rankings mean, what that's going to mean for when you're actually looking for jobs. And no one is going to be saying, no one's going to know what the ranking was in 2021 because they change every year. And top 10 is top 10. Top 20 is top 20. Mm -hmm. uh, helping them zoom back and mm -hmm. see the bigger picture. Mm -hmm. Well, and the other thing about rankings is that you, you mentioned that the rankings change. And I think that just as an aside, what we've learned also is that the rankings change because the formulas change. And it, I think it would be rather fascinating to see what rankings would look like over the last 30 years if there were absolutely no changes to the formula. Right. There probably wouldn't be a ranking any longer because no one would be interested. Nothing changes. <laughs> well, but, but also, you know, certainly colleges have been an institutional priority has certainly been to affect the data points which feed rankings because colleges understand that. And there's sort of, if a student allows me, I'll get on my soapbox and then they'll just beg me to shut up because I'll just, I, my, my concerns with the ranking system are plentiful. I, I found that sometimes audiences need to be admonished to stop using terms like top or best. Yep with yep. regard to colleges. Here, another scenario. You probably are, are talking with students and parents these days, probably more the parents who will say, Johnny didn't get into the dream school, but you know, which of the schools where he's admitted, which is the more likely to provide a, a good transfer option for him a year or so from now to get into that dream school? Right. And I, and I say in those instances, and we, and we do have students who are thinking that, 
some portion of them will actually fall through with a transfer application, but a lot actually end up staying where they started. So I want them to pick the one they like the best of their options. I always tell them the way to best position yourself for a transfer application is to engage as fully as possible in your experience at that college, because that's going to get you the strong grades. That's going to get you the faculty recommendation where that professor knows you well and can write on your behalf. That's where you're going to get the leadership opportunities that make you a more attractive candidate to other schools. And I know, by the way, if you do all of those things, you're probably going to find yourself happy at the place <laughs> you land and forget yeah. to transfer. Exactly. It's, it's unfortunate, I think, that the, the families get into that calculus of what's it going to take to get to that dream school somehow, somewhere. And the other suggestion is, you know, if your student's thinking about maybe graduate or PhD work, maybe that dream school is the, the landing spot for that as well. Exactly. Exactly. How do you, how do you help families now who are trying to decide upon colleges, but the campuses are closed? Mm -hmm. uh, or the, the traditional, if you will, open house, come yep. see us, live with us for a while. All of that's just not happening the same way. What can families do to still get a good sense of the culture and substance of a place as they're, they're trying to make that final choice? Yep. A couple, a couple of things I would throw out there. Obviously, colleges are have where we've come a long way in a year in terms of virtual opportunities colleges have done a fantastic job of really upping their game there. And so th there are good options there. I always recommend if students have a specific academic interest, dig deeply on the website. You want to go and look what courses are actually offered. What are the areas of research of the faculty members in that area? Do they have student profiles that you can look at? You know, I like to look at the homepage and see what is the college choosing to share about themselves, because obviously they're putting their best foot forward, but what do they think is their best foot, but then go more deeply. The other thing I would say for those who may have family, friends, former students, ask your school counselor, people who went to that school and could give you a firsthand experience. And then the third thing that as one who's not particularly good at it herself, my students are having tremendous success with social media. There's lots of like vloggers who do TikTok daily, like a day in the life of a student. Every day they're vlogging what their life is like at these various schools. Students have found that enormously helpful. Actually, my juniors are doing that a lot. And it's important to always give a caveat if you're going to go sort of the more unvarnished, uncurated elements that they need to be critical consumers of that information. And I said, you, know, you always want to make sure that that student didn't just fail their org chem test and therefore, you know, hates the school. That's not, you know, you want to be, take everything with a grain of salt, but those are some of the roots that we're suggesting. That's, that's a great idea. And I'm like you, I'm, I'm not well steeped in, in social media. So that I, I'd always be nervous about entering into that, but as you say, the advice there is be careful not to take one voice as the voice for the institution, but that's, that's pretty cool. Do you ever find students in, when, when you're talking with them about the websites and have you looked to see, they'll say, well, yeah, I, they, they have the program. It's, and of course, they got the, the homepage and I said, well, what do you know about the program? What courses are offered? Oh, they don't say that on their website. Uh, yeah, they do. <laughs> <laughs> you have to push them a little go bit. go back together and let's see what we can find. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I just, I just hold their hand and take them there. And, oh, no way. Some These are really, really helpful. Really, really cool things I think kids can find on websites, but they have to dig, as you say. Go ahead. Um, student newspapers, 
if mm. they can access the student newspaper mm -hmm. to see what's happening on that campus, I think is another good insight. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, that's a, that's a great idea. Now let's let's talk a little bit also about financial aid because you hinted earlier that that colleges are businesses. The decision to offer admission and financial aid is a business decision. Now we've gotten the offer of admission, and there's a financial aid award letter that hmm, maybe yeah. doesn't quite match our expectations based yeah. on all the information we've seen before. What next? Uh, what, what should we do with, with yeah. uh, this financial aid? Is it something we sit on for a while, see what happens? Do we act immediately? What do you thought? What do you thought? I think they should reach, the sooner they reach out, the better. And I recommend that students, if, they, if their aid is not enough, they should appeal that decision. They're going to need to find out how the school handles financial aid appeals. Typically, it will require a handwritten, uh, not handwritten, but a personal letter explaining why this package does not work. If there were any circumstances that may not have been fully considered, anything like that, explaining why they feel this is not enough. I want to be very clear to your listeners that I have no idea if they'll work. Maybe a third of the time it will work, that you'll get any kind of additional funds. Sometimes you get a lot, sometimes you get a little, often you'll get nothing, but you never know unless you ask. And so reaching out to do that is, is the first step. What do you say to the parent who comes into your office somewhat indignant, not at you necessarily, but says, what are these guys doing? They, they took my kid and they took my neighbor's kid. My kid's a better student. Everybody knows that, but they gave my neighbor's kid better financial aid. What's going on? Is that, a, is that an argument that's going to work in the financial aid process? Can, never, can, never, never. Okay. Never. Colleges will never share other families' information with you, and nor should they. I, I would be horrified if they did. Whenever I do get that kind of question, I'll, I'll just say, you do not know the whole story. No one knows the whole story except for the admissions people who are reading the file, making the final decision. And it, you're going to drive yourself batty mm -hmm. if you continue to do this kind of compare and contrast. Just It will just make you sad and angry. So don't do it, is what they pretty much say to people. Well, is, let's, let's take compare and contrast in a different direction. If, if one is hoping to get the attention of a financial aid officer for an appeal and and that appeal is being made at College A, which is the favorite school, but a close second favorite has offered a financial aid award that's better. Mm -hmm. Is that an acceptable, uh, do you think, a uh, submission of information? Yeah, I think, I mean, it, and, and again, this is, there's very different schools on this. There are, some, I probably shouldn't have used the words, like schools of thought on this, exactly. is what I meant to say. There are definitely schools who are looking very much to maximize their revenue and it might be in a tougher situation and they will be more willing to play the, let me see what the other school gave you. Yeah, we can come close to that or beat it. And then there are other schools who are just going to, we're only going to offer more aid if there, you have proven greater need than we knew. Um, so it, it's going to vary from school to school. I find it interesting that that uh, families don't always see the equivalencies there either. If, if college A and college B are close competitors, they might be more likely to look at that. Right. But if college B and college A are not even close at all, then college A is not going to be interested. Right. Um, let, let's talk a little bit about dealing with the persistent 
disappointment, if you will. Maybe that's not the quite quite the way right to say, but but we've got the student who's been put on the wait list and says, Mrs. Almasian, what can I do to have this changed? Yep. Can I appeal the decision? Mm-hmm. I've been denied. Can I appeal the decision? What 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 are the realities there? The realities are that in my I guess it's it's my 30th year, Peter. I know not you have possible. more. Uh, <laughs> I can speak to two times where an appeal made a difference. So I would, I'm always going to counsel a student unless there's information that you don't think you provided, then an appeal is not worth your time and effort. If they push back, I'll never, I'm never gonna say you can't, but I'm gonna say, go ahead, but it is extremely unlikely that that is going to change. And I really recommend that we also look forward to the options we do have and create our plan from there. Mm-hmm. And again, with highly selective admissions, the bottom line is it comes down to everyone's qualified. Some were more competitive in this particular pool and that's not gonna change with a letter of appeal. Another, another response you'll get from parents, we, we applied to 13 schools, which in my mind is too many, but it happens. We applied to 13, we applied to 13. Yeah we only got into two and and she doesn't want to go to those schools but it happens doesn't it all the time so two-part question can you redirect some energy positive energy toward those two or then the next question the family might ask is is it too late to apply to another school as i'm starting to work with juniors right now we're starting to i keep talking about balance and and if i say it once i say it at least five times to each student if you do not like this likely, do not apply. <laughs> that is wasting everybody's time and your parents' money. Mm-hmm. There are hundreds of fantastic schools out there that will be likelies for you. Let's find them. I've often said to students, okay, you've told me you want these three as your likelies. I want you to explain to me why you think those are good fits for you. And then I can remind them of it you know, nine months later when they get those decisions. But all of that said, I, it would depend on this on the situation. If I can redirect and help them to understand the benefits of this and what they can do, great. But if they are just off the rails and really hate everything, yeah. Can I call up schools and say, would you still take an application from a, a kid who would be strong in your pool? Some will. But there's generally a list of schools that would still be accepting. But at that point, again, I'm in a very fortunate situation where I had the caseload where I could do this. It would not be a more selective school. It would be a school that would be a likely. Yeah. Because the student would need to be at the top of that school's pool to consider a very late application. It would have to be a desirable likely from the student's point of view. And it would have to be a school that still has some space available. And you referenced the... the National Association of College Admission Counseling does produce that list of uh, space availability late in the spring. Wow. So all the planning, all the dreaming, all the scheming that families have put into this process is boiling down to a few weeks in April and May when these decisions come due. I I think that, that our experience over time is that however, whatever the expectations were coming in, that people land pretty well. Is that a safe assessment? Yes. Yeah, they do. They do. And you know, if I had a dollar for every time a student left Taft and was kind of bummed, not thrilled, coming back, 
six months later, a year later saying it is the best place ever. I can't imagine being anywhere else. It happens all the time. And I think a lot of this is about mindset, Peter, and, and about that there is not a right and wrong, but there you take what's in front of you and you make the mine as much from that experience as you possibly can and keep on moving forward. Proceed with purpose and, and then things things will work out well. Allison, this has been great. We could talk a long time about this process. <laughs> I think we're, we're enrollment wonks here, but the, uh, I, I hope that what we've been able to discuss today is helpful for families who are trying to make decisions about the final choice of a college. There, there's so much to consider. But just kind of take a deep breath, as Allison suggested, if things didn't go the way you wanted to at some places, have that mourning period, but go beyond that then to celebrate the, the accomplishments that you do have. Thank you again, Allison, for this. This has been great. I, it's I really always great to see you, Peter. It's great to chat. And we'll, uh, we'll see what the next couple of weeks bring. You bet. You bet. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. And, uh, you know, good luck with your decision making and, and, and be well. Take care, everyone.